Would you open your Bibles with me? We're in the Gospel of Mark. I'm gonna begin by reading, pray, and then I'll talk. Mark 11, verse 20. As they passed by in the morning, they saw the fig tree withered away to its roots. And Peter remembered and said to him, Rabbi, look, the fig tree that you have cursed has withered. And Jesus answered them, have faith in God. Truly I say to you, whoever says to this mountain, be taken up and thrown into the sea, and does not doubt in his heart, but believes that what he says will come to pass, it will be done for him. Therefore, I tell you, whatever you ask in prayer, believe that you have received it, and it will be yours. And whenever you stand praying, forgive if you have anything against anyone so that your Father also who is in heaven may forgive you your trespasses. Father, we hold in our hands your sacred text inspired by your Spirit as you moved upon the prophets of old. And we know that your spirit is required to understand it. That the natural mind cannot understand the things of scripture. They are spiritually discerned. So we ask right now for your spirit to fill each of our leaky vessels to empower us to understand your word. So that we might have the mind of Christ. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen. So things aren't always as they look. Do you know that? I'll give you an illustration. About three years ago, someone gave me some tickets to an OSU football game. It was OSU versus Washington. And so I took my two boys, Elijah and Myron, and then one of Elijah's friends, Luke. And we went up to the game, and the seat I was sitting on was right on this aisle Really busy aisle, lots of stuff happening, and the worst game I've ever gone to in my life. OSU had eight yards of offense in the entire second half, okay? A middle school girl soccer team could have done better. Like, it was just hideous. And I've been to a lot of bad OSU football games. I've been to, for 32 years, I've gone to OSU football games. This was the worst one. So that's saying a lot. But it was even worse, and here's why. I'm on the aisle, this really busy aisle, and this lady, two minutes into the game, she's coming up, she's got two of the largest beers I've ever seen. Like, I didn't know you could sell them that big, right? And so she is walking up these steps, and then she gets right about level with me, trips, and just throws the beers on me. And it's just like a tidal wave of beer hits me, and then just starts going down the stairs, right? She looks at me and she goes, sorry. 
turns around and goes, gets more. I'm like, ah, that helped. So for the entire game, I'll see people, they'll be walking up the steps and they'll be like, whoa. And then they'll follow this tidal wave up and then they'll just look at me and they'll just be like, (laughs) shake their head. I'm like, what do you think I did? I'm like, this is such a horrible game. Ah! I mean, it's like, what? You know? So the worst though, like middle of third quarter, just a horrific game. Oh, she's like minus 10 right now for offense. So uh, this lady, she's probably 65, 70, makes a little bit extra money at home games at OSU cleaning up. So she's walking up. She's got this little pail of like kitty litter and then some paper towels and a mop. And she's like smiling and talking to people. Then she hits this mess. She stops, just falls it up, looks at me. And I'm trying to like, um, explain my like smile, like, come here. I'll explain this to you. She just goes, Oh, turns around, just walks away. I'm like, ah, right. Brutal. Things aren't always as they look. Okay. So Mark chapter 11, let me try to catch you up so you can figure out that things aren't always as they look. Jesus has presenting himself as King. That's how Mark 11 begins. The coronation There is a spontaneous celebration inside of the city, like the king has come. They're quoting Old Testament promises of the coming of the king. Jesus goes to the temple, looks around. It's Walmart, 5 a.m., Black Friday, just crazy. Turns around, leaves. Comes back the next day. As he's coming back, he is hungry. He sees a tree that's in leaf. These kind of trees, they would, if you, if you know this kind of fig tree, it would actually produce a little fruit even before it produced a leaf, right? Like some, some, we have plum trees that'll put out a blossom before they put out leaves. It's like that. And these tiny fruits were edible. So it had leaves, but no tiny little fruits. So Jesus comes up to him, he's hungry. There's no little tiny fruits on it. It's a fake tree, if you would. It's putting out leaves, but no fruit. So Jesus curses the tree, proceeds to walk into the temple, cleanses that temple, right? Makes a whip, drives people out. This is not your hippie-loving, granola-eating Jesus. This is the real Jesus of Scripture. says, this is not happening. My house is to be a house of prayer for all nations, and you have turned it into a den of robbers, right? Big time. They leave. Next morning, they're walking back. This time, they're walking back. They go by that tree that Jesus had cursed the day before. So it's 24 hours later. Peter sees the tree that it's withered up. Leaves are off of it. It's brown. It's dead. And he's like, whoa, Jesus, the tree that you cursed, it's dead. Like you're better than Roundup. This is amazing, right? Right? But now it's an honest tree because it looks like it actually is. It couldn't hide its nakedness behind leaves anymore, Genesis 3. And then so Jesus kind of explains himself and really explains what has been happening in this chapter. And so I'm just going to summarize it like this. Jesus is saying the time is up for fruitless 
fakes, and prayerless temples. Time's up, right? So here's why I'll say that. When Peter says, wow, this tree is dead, how does Jesus respond? Is he like, yeah, told you. No, he responds by saying, have faith in God. That's a weird turn. We were talking about a cursed tree. Now you're talking about have faith in God. And next he says, if there's a mountain that's in your way, you can see that mountain be uprooted and it's gone. All you need is faith. And if you have prayers of faith, whatever you ask, you'll receive. But if you're sitting there praying, make sure that you forgive people because if you don't forgive people, God won't forgive you. Clear as mud, right? Like, oh, that totally makes sense. It's, it's pretty, pretty difficult. You have a faith that can move mountains. You have prayers to get whatever you want, but make sure that you forgive so God will forgive you. Like, it's actually a technically difficult little section. And here's what happens to this text in certain parts of the church. They grab it, they pull it out of the context of what has been going on, and then they say this. They say, listen, you can have a kind of faith that allows you to get rid of any mountain in your life. So if you have a mountain of credit card debt, if you've got faith, man, you can just say, be removed and it's gone. If you've got a business problem that's a big business problem, you can have faith and it'll be gone. If there's a government regulation that you don't like, you can have faith and it can be gone. If you've got a mountain of a problem of a neighbor, faith and they'll be gone. A tumor, faith, and it's gone. Your tranny's bad, faith, and it's fixed. Your hip is bad, faith, and it's fixed, right? Red lights are in your way, faith, and they turn green. That ridiculous driver in front of you, be gone, right? There's this idea behind it. It's termed name it and claim it. And this is one of the texts that they use to say, this is what you can do. If you have a certain kind of faith, you can say to any mountain of a problem in front of you, be gone and it's gone. So you have to ask, is that what Jesus is teaching here? Is he teaching this? No. He's not teaching that God will become your private excavator and take care of any of your personal problems. Just, you know, sign him up. Okay? And let me try to prove it. Look at verse 23 very carefully. Truly I say to you, whoever says to this mountain, what mountain? Any mountain? Can I say to Mount Baldy or Mount Everest? No. There is a specific mountain that Jesus is talking about. So if you know your geography, Jesus would be coming from Bethany he would hit the Kidron Valley and he would be in the Kidron Valley when he's talking about this. And this, I have a picture of what they would be looking at. What mountain would he be saying when he says this mountain? It's the only mountain around. It's the Temple Mount. It's where the temple was set on top of. They're looking literally at that. So the context of this chapter has been coronation of the king, a Fig tree that looked leafy, looked like it should have fruit and had no fruit. A temple that should have had prayer inside of it, but didn't have any prayers inside of it. And what Jesus is saying is this. Listen, that whole system, the fig tree often represents 
the nation of Israel. That whole kind of system that's producing leaves but no fruit. This temple system that's supposed to be full of prayer to God is full of robbing people. That whole system, it's on life support. That system that puts obstacles in between people's ability to get to me, to get to the heavenly father, it's on life support. It is drying up from the roots. It's going to be excavated literally. So if you know your history, that's what happened. Because in AD 70, the Romans came down. They put down a rebellion. They broke through the city walls. They made it to the temple, beautiful temple, and they burned it to the ground. It melted the gold in between the cracks of the giant stones that were the foundation of that temple. And in order to get to the gold, the Roman soldiers, soldiers pried those big giant stones apart. You can see them even to this day in Israel. They're cast off that temple mount down into the valley, literally, because they wanted the gold. It gets excavated, all right? So here's the question. What replaces it? Jesus has given two illustrations of, hey, that system is gone. It's fruitless and it's cursed. It's this mountain that's gonna be removed. So now what replaces a 1,500-year system? Well, what does Jesus say? Have faith in God. Kind of a random turn. Hey, this tree, it's all dried up. Yeah, that represents that system. So now what do we do? We have faith in God. God, you pray, you believe, you forgive, okay? How radical would this be to a Jew living in 32 AD? Because they believe this, the way that you and I have access to our heavenly father was this system that had been around for a long time. So if I was a Jew in 32 AD and I wanted to talk to my heavenly father, guess what I had to do? I had to number one get down to the temple because that was the one hot spot. So it might be, if I was the northern part of Israel, a week trip down and a week trip back. My two weeks of vacation time, hey, going to seek God. Number two, I had to bring a sacrifice. So if I had sin, it would be for the sin. But if I'm just coming to say, hey God, I just wanna talk with you, I wanna have fellowship with you, I wanna have presence with you, then it would be what's called a peace offering. Just, hey, I don't have anything necessarily sinful, but I just wanna be in your presence. It still required a sacrifice, more money. And then personally, I had to be something. There's all these rules and regulations about what I had to be personally. Certain kind of things I could not engage in. Activities I had to abstain from. And then if it was on the day of atonement, I would have to fast and afflict myself that day. So there was this formula, travel, sacrifice, afflict yourself. If you did that all right, access to God. And now what Jesus is saying is this, hmm, not anymore. Have faith in God. Here's why. Did that system, 1500 year system, sacrifice, temple, travel, that system, did it produce the fruit that God wanted? No, it's like the fig tree. It didn't. That system was temporary, and I'm gonna try to prove it to you, and here's why you have to know that system was temporary, because churches try to resurrect the mosaic system all the time. Hey, you have to worship on this day. If you don't worship on that day, you are taking the mark of the beast. Really? Hey, you shouldn't eat those kinds of food. Really? 
Hey, you have to make sure and wear clothing that's made from a Mervyn's curtain. That's it. Okay, that's a bummer. You have to read this version of the Bible. If you don't, you're an error. Oh, really? And they come here. I had this guy come here. He showed up a couple weeks in a row, and I'm, I was just kind of watching him because his alarm's going off. Then he showed up third Sunday with a giant stack of books. And I went right over to him. And I said, hey, buddy, what are you doing? He's like, oh, some people wanted these books. I, I looked at him, and I knew those books. Legalistic garbage. They wanted these books, so I came to bring them to them. I said, no, you're not. They can order them on Amazon. You need to take your books and put them in your car. You're welcome to come back, but don't bring those books back in here because it's legalistic garbage. And then just a short while ago, I had this couple, like after a service, they said, hey, Matt, uh, we want to meet with you. Can we get a meeting with you? And I'm, I'm, I love to meet with people. But for some reason, I said, what do you want? What do you guys want? And they said, what version of the Bible do you read? I said, I read the ESV Bible. Not perfect, but I think it does a pretty good job. I like it. They said, do you know that your Bible is wrong? I said, what do you mean? They go, would you read this verse for us? I said, sure, I read the verse. They said, it's wrong. I said, how do you know it's wrong? Well, we read the King James Version, and it says it this way. I said, oh, you guys are KJV only, aren't you? I said, I'm not meeting with you. They said, why won't you meet with me? I said, because you guys strain at gnats and swallow camels, and it's ugly, and I don't want to be in that room. And like, well, um, you know, the King James Version is the best. I said, really? I said, it's a fine translation, but it's based on 400-year-old stuff. It's missing out on one of the most important Bible discoveries in history. They're called the Dead Sea Scrolls. 1947. Missed out on that. It would be like today, not using electricity or not using your cell phone or not using the internet, right? Jesus didn't use them, so I'm not, right? Come on, man. So then instead of being like, oh, that's interesting, this is what they did. They said, well, there's leaven in your communion. I said, really? Really we're gonna do this? I mean, come on. The lady looked at me and go, she said, leaven is sin. I said, leaven is not sin. Leaven is yeast, Sin is murder. Would you like a demonstration? <laughs> I didn't say that last phrase, but I wanted to. Goodness, right? It's like, are you kidding, right? All this effort to convert the converted. You're gonna come here with all this while there's a world full of broken people, a world full of needy people, a world full of foster care kids, you're gonna spend all your effort on this? Give me a break, man. I ain't playing that game. I'm not gonna do it, right? Have faith in God. That system is dead. It's dried up from its roots. That, that mountain of obstacle is going to be excavated, and I'm gonna prove it to you that that whole system was temporary. Never go back to it. So look at it. I'll, I'll have it up, but it's Galatians 3.19. Why then the law? You ever have that discussion with somebody? Especially from certain groups? Why then the law? Why do we have all this in the Old Testament? It was added because of righteousness? Because it'll make you fruitful? Because it's God's goal for you? No. It was added because of transgressions. 
until the offspring should come to whom the promise had been made. It's temporary, right? It's here until there's something better that comes. That's what it's saying. And on top of that, it was added to because of transgression. So who's the promised offspring, number one? What does Genesis 3.15 say? Page three of your Bible. Hey, good news, Adam and Eve. I know you've sinned. I know you've blown it. I know there's a curse now on earth, but good news. The seed of the woman is gonna crush the serpent's head. That's the promised seed on page three. It's repeated to Abraham who says, God says, hey, hey, you're gonna have a bunch of kids. It's gonna be awesome. And every family on earth will be blessed because of your kids, because of the coming offspring. That's what it is. And then it tells us that the rules were added because of transgression. How do we get all the 613 rules of the Old Testament? Carefully read your Bible. Here's what happens. The law begins in Exodus chapter 20. God gives 10 simple rules. What happens? Before Moses gets down from the mountain, the people break them, right? So then God adds more rules. And then they break those. And then God adds more rules. So there's this cycle you see. God adds some rules. They break them. They add some rules. That's exactly what Galatians 3.19 is saying. That the law kept being added. Why? Because they kept breaking it. It's like your kids. You ever give a rule at your house and then have to clarify it again and again to your kids? Right? Because they break the heart of it. All right, so many years ago, I was trying to just tell my kids about kindness. Like, this is just kind. And it had to do with the toilet paper roll. When the toilet paper roll is out, if you used it up, hey, take off the old roll, put on a new roll, right? Simple. So I made that a law in our house, in the heavenly house. When you use all the toilet paper, you replace the roll. It wasn't 12 hours later. I go into the bathroom and that roll had that one glued on square left. Yeah, you don't know where this is going, all right? So I brought my kids and I'm like, look it. You're supposed to replace this. What'd they say? It's not empty yet, dad. There's one square. That's not gonna help anyone. But it's not empty. What do I have to do? I had to clarify. Okay, if there are 15 inches or less of toilet paper, replace it, right? And what's their question? Is that dual ply or single ply, dad? Nah, you end up with a Torah for toilet paper. That's how the law came, just like that. Read it. It's kept getting broken and God's, okay, I'll clarify this for you. If you can't get the heart behind this, then I have to get real pedantic with you. That's the law. It was added because of transgression. Temporary. Between Abraham and between Jesus. That's where it rolled, okay? Here's what God wanted. Look at verse 23, that same text. Now before faith came, we were held captive under the law in prison. Does that sound like a fun place to be? A captive prisoner? What's it saying about the law? Does it bring you freedom and grace and fruitfulness and love and beauty and life? No, what's it saying? It keeps you captive and imprisoned until the coming faith would be revealed. So then the law was our guardian until Christ came in order that we might be justified by, why are you justified? By faith, thank you. 
Now then, that faith has come. We are no longer under a guardian. For in Christ Jesus, and this is the key, you are all sons of God through faith. This is the relationship God's after. Okay? It's why Jesus says, hard turn. Hey, this tree is cursed and dried up. Yeah, have faith in God. That old system is bankrupt. The rules, the sacrifice, the travel, it didn't create the fruitfulness that God wanted. So instead, you and I, you and I by faith become sons, becomes daughters of our heavenly father. And don't sons and daughters have access that no one else does? Don't they? So I was down in Mexico and I took with me my eight-year-old son, Myron. And uh, his whole evaluation of it was this. When the students asked him, hey, how are you liking it down here? He goes, I love it because my mom's not here. <laughs> she makes me take two showers every single day. I'm like, really? Like that, <laughs> she never makes you take two showers a day, number one. Number two, I mean, really? Well, that was him. So can't control your kids. Get over it. So here's what he do. I would be teaching from eight in the morning until noon. And there wasn't any little kids down there. So he, he would be waiting for me to get done. And here's what mine would do. About once an hour, he'd come to the classroom and the windows were about right here to him. And he'd just put his hands up on the window and he'd just look in. And all the students would like look at him and he'd be just looking at him. And then every once in a while, he'd just open the door and kind of come in and like kind of check things out and be like, dad, how long can you talk for? I mean, crying out loud, right? And then leave. Did I mind that? No, because he's my son. Now, some random person at the mission was doing that to me. He'd be like, hey, bro, you got to knock it off, but not my son. Sons and daughters have incredible, special access to their fathers. That's what this is saying. It's amazing, right? It's unbelievable. And it's been what God has wanted forever, right? Go back to Abraham. There's this great verse in Genesis 15, 6. That's the very, very, very opening pages of scripture. In Genesis 15, 6, God is meeting with Abraham. And he's telling Abraham, hey, Abraham, I know you're 85. I know your wife is 76. And I know you don't have any kids. And you've been trying for a long time. But listen to me. Walk outside. Look up to the stars. See if you can number them. That's how many descendants you're going to have, right? And so what does Abraham do? Verse six, he believed Yahweh and he counted it to him as righteousness. Righteousness in the Bible is the goal. That you and I have a right relationship with our heavenly father where we're restored as his sons and his daughters and we can have access to him by faith. It's the goal. How does Abraham get that righteousness? Did he eat the right kind of food? No, there's no food laws yet. Did he obey the Ten Commandments? No, they're not given for mm, another oh, 500 years. Um, did he donate a kidney to an orphan in Mexico? Nope. Did he carry around a big King James Version Bible, giant print with a tiny little naked baby on the front? You seen those? Those are awesome. No. What is it? Was it church attendance? No. What was it? He believed God. Genesis 15, 6, the very beginning. Like the Hebrew word there is amen. He just amen God. 
hey, Abraham, I know you're 85. I know your wife is 76, but listen to me. You are gonna have so many descendants. You can't count them. Amen. All right, so be it. God says, that's what I'm looking for, righteousness now. How brilliant is that? That's page 15 of 1,000, right? The law comes in between that. It was added, and Jesus says, it's cursed, and it's excavated now. It's going away, because I've always wanted a people of faith, a people that would simply amen my promises. God, you say this? All right, brilliant, because I trust that you're good and generous. Okay, amen. And that's it. If you're charismatic, we jump up. At least smile, because this is really good news, right? It's amazing. This is what Jesus is saying. And what Jesus then says is this, because of that, because that system is dried up, it's not producing fruit, this whole thing's gonna be cleared off. Because of that, when you have faith in God, it will make you fruitful. You won't be like the fruitless tree. You're gonna be fruitful in two ways, two simple ways that Jesus says. Number one is this. You're gonna have bold prayers. Let me read that verse 24 for you. Therefore, I tell you, whatever you ask in prayer, believe that you have received it and it will be yours. Before you had to go to the temple, sacrifice, all this stuff to get access. Now it's have faith in God and have these incredible, bold prayers. Well, hold on, Matt. It, it sounds like name it and claim it right there. If you pray it, believing, you're gonna have it. Okay, belief is different than a formula. Up to that point, it was a formula. Travel down, get to the hot spot, bring your sacrifice, make sure you're okay, and then God grants you access. Like, a formula is always the same, right? Every religious system is based on a formula. Do these things, and then God owes you. Rub the God genie just right, and he'll drop for you three wishes. That's every single religion. It's a formula. It's always the same. Two plus two always equals Look, no one knows anymore because we're unsure. Like, I don't know if math is that simple anymore. I've been told it's not that simple. Like, it's racist or something. I don't know. So, two plus two does equal four. I don't care, right? A formula is always the same. So every religious system has this formula that says, do this and do that, and then God will owe you something. And what Jesus is saying is, no, you believe now. Believe is different I believe God, and I believe that he will do what I most want. That's a new kind of faith. That's a different kind of faith, right? It's I believe he'll do the best for me. I believe God in my suffering, and I believe God in my miracles. I believe God for his power, but I also believe God for his will. I believe God can remove mountains in my life, no doubt, but I also believe that God can give me the strength to climb over that mountain. That I know this now. I've made so many poor choices in my life where I thought, this is the thing to do. And it wasn't. That now I don't want my will. Guess whose will I want now? I want God's will. So I'm praying, yes, bold prayers, but my prayers are always prayers of faith saying, God, I want your power and I want your will. I want them together. That's what I want. 
So we get bold, bold prayers. That's what we do. Even when it doesn't make sense. Look at the life of Abraham, right? He amens God. Okay, great. And then what does God ask him to do in Genesis 22? Take your son, your only son, Isaac, up on a mountain and sacrifice him. And what does Abraham do there? He believes God when it does not make sense because he still knew God is good and generous. And my faith isn't just for the good times and the happy times when the mountains are God. My faith is always for both times. Suffering, valleys, mountains, high tops, joy, suffering. I trust that God is good and generous and he's working all things together for my good. That's the prayer of faith. And I think we're supposed to pray boldly I don't want to get to heaven and have a shelf full of stuff that says Matt's opportunities that he missed because I have not because I asked not. So I want to boldly say, God, whatever opportunity you have for me, whatever things there are, man, whatever mountains you want to remove in my life, man, do it. I want your power and your will because you're good and you're generous. That's the mark of these believers. Unlike the temple that had no prayer, Believers that have experienced the goodness and generosity of God and the access freely given by faith say, ha, I'm gonna boldly pray, number one. Number two, ridiculous forgiveness. Let me read this again for you. And I think sometimes we gloss over the words of Jesus and we don't really stop and ponder how profound they are. So listen carefully to what Jesus says here. And whenever you stand praying, you've got this incredible access to God because of faith alone. You're praying. He's hearing you. His will, his power. Whenever you stand praying, forgive. If you have anything against anyone so that your Father also who is in heaven may forgive you your trespasses. Ridiculous forgiveness. Do you see the two words I underlined there? Anything, anyone. What does that cover? What does anything cover? Who does anyone cover? That's what I call it, ridiculous forgiveness. This is as wide as it could possibly get. Ridiculous, insane forgiveness. And it's so important that Jesus says, you do that so that your heavenly father may forgive you also. What? What about grace? Right? Your mind should spin on that right there. Minimally, what this is saying is you forgiving people is super, super serious to Jesus. Minimally. Now, why? Because forgiveness frees you. I have this saying, I wrote it down. Your pain will either be transformed or transmitted. That whatever's happened to you and you're wounded from it, if I don't let Jesus transform that pain, I'm gonna transmit it to my kids and to my spouse and to my neighbors and to my coworkers and to my friends. That's what I'm gonna do. Those are your only two choices. You're either gonna allow Jesus to transform it and heal you, or you're gonna start transmitting it and hurting other people. Bad photocopies of bad photocopies, I call it. It's serious, that's how serious. 
It is. The Bible says that when you don't forgive, you get a root of bitterness, Hebrews 12, 15, that rises up in you and it says it defiles everything. You're just walking around broken up and defiling. That's why forgiveness is so important. Forgiveness is carrying around a giant red hot boulder in hopes that one day you can throw it at that person. But it never comes. And you're just burnt and burdened. That's all that happens to you. That's why this is so important. Or instead of being full of the fruit of the spirit, we're full of anger and, and rage and vengeance and just, uh, and we ruminate. You know what rumination is? It's that one event that whenever you have a moment where you're not busy thinking, that event pops up. So you're mowing your lawn or you're whatever. You're washing dishes. You're doing something that doesn't require you to think. And what happens in that moment? Man, that story, that event comes back in your head and you replay that tape. And re it's called rumination. And everybody does it. But here's what science has found. When you ruminate, it does two things. Number one, rumination makes us stupid. Like literally. Your brain could be thinking about the things that further your future, that help you, that encourage you. Instead, what you're doing is you're remembering something, that very, very difficult situation that hurts you. And your body actually releases, you're reliving that event. When your brain goes over it, the same chemicals that you had when it happened to you get released again. And number two, you never remember it right. Because when you ruminate, you're not, not actually remembering the original memory. You're remembering the last time you, you ruminated. So every time you ruminate, your brain is slowly rewriting the story. Do you see potential problems in that? And you don't even realize you're rewriting it because you only remember the last time you rewrote it. So what happens is it gets further and further away from the actual events and you're able to demonize that person more and more and more and make them into the worst person on earth. It's very, very bad. So Jesus is saying, hey, the people I'm looking for, the people of faith, the fruitful people, man, they're gonna understand access to the fathers by faith now and they're gonna be radical Forgivers, and it does something for you. Forgiving people are healthier, they take less medication, they sleep better, they don't get tired doing certain things, right? Marriage, forgiveness in marriage, what they found is this, you have lower blood pressure, you have a lower heart rate, and the tension of the muscles in the face relax. Do you know what tense muscles in the face produce? wrinkles, if for no other reason, just for vanity's sake, forgive, right? I mean, that's how, like Jesus is like, hey, if you don't wanna look wrinkled, forgive someone for crying out loud. How brilliant is that? That's how important this is to God. They did these tests on unforgiving people walk, climbing up, doing a hike, and people that like literally same, like, like they just tried to eliminate everything possible and they found those that were forgiving were much able, much more able to hike. They did one on high jump. They found that forgiving people can jump seven centimeters higher than unforgiving people. How crazy is that one? 
right? You want to dunk the ball, high schooler? Forgive. Seven centimeters right there. You're 40 trying to relive the glory days? Get out on the basketball hoop with your youngster? Forgive. Like, it's huge. So important is it that the two marks that Jesus gives of this new faith family, man, bold prayers, because you realize the access you have to God now. Abrahamic faith, face to face, he spoke to God. The only person in the Old Testament who's called the friend of God was Abraham. You have that relationship, bold prayers. And the number two, ridiculous forgiveness. I think the mistake we make with forgiveness is this. Forgiveness is a revolving door. You know those revolving doors where you kind of, they spin on a circle and you can walk in one side and other people are walking out the other side at the same time. And if some kid decides to stop in the middle, what happens? In and out, they're, they're both blocked. That's forgiveness. We think forgiveness is like, we've got an indoor for God's forgiveness and then we get this separate outdoor that we forgive people. So God is always gonna just be pouring forgiveness in and then we'll decide, hmm, should I forgive or should I not forgive? I don't think that's the Bible at all. I think what Jesus says right here in Mark chapter 11 is, no, faith is a revolving door. That when God floods your life with faith, what happens naturally is you have this revolving door where then you are able to forgive other people. But if we'll stand in the middle of that door and just say, no, then what happens? The flow stops. I think that's what Jesus is saying. And your shalom and your health and your happiness, and the life-giving stuff that God has for you, man, it's blocked. So you forgive. And Jesus never asked us to do something that he did not do. On the worst night in history, after being betrayed with a kiss, denied, abandoned, beat 39 times, nailed to a cross, Jesus looks at those people and what does he say? Father, forgive them because they know not what they do. You know how you stop rumination? Every time, the moment, you have 15 seconds, science says. When you start ruminating, you got 15 seconds. If you go below, much beyond that, you can't stop the tape then. You're in for 20 minutes or however long that's, that is. But you've got this little window in the beginning of rumination where you can stop it and you start getting health. And I say the way that you stop it is the moment you begin to ruminate on that event, you say, Father, forgive them for they know not what they've done. That's how you stop it. That where we're weak, he becomes strong. That we experience his forgiveness and the more we know of his forgiveness, the more like that revolving door, we are able to forgive people and the more we're freed from all the junk of unforgiveness because that's what Jesus has for us. So every Sunday we come to the table and we remember his forgiveness because it's that important. Because we want to go back out into our city and be people of forgiveness. So Jesus today, we hold in our hands the ultimate reminder, the ultimate remembrance of forgiveness. 
that though my sins were like scarlet, they have been made white as snow. That all things, old things have passed away and all things have become new. And as far as the east is from the west, that's how far you've put your, my sins away. That you've cast them into the depths of the sea. I've been forgiven. I've been forgiven because I simply placed my faith in the finished work of God the Son, Jesus, on the cross for me. Let's eat of that forgiveness. And so many of us spend way too much time looking in the rearview mirror instead of enjoying the gifts you have for us today. And we need to be cleansed from that tendency. Where we're weak, we need to be strong. Where our minds take us, Lord, we know it's not healthy. We can feel the death it does to us. We can feel the bitterness rising up. And we don't want to be people like that. And so I pray for every person in here that as we drink, you would cleanse us from that. That we could quickly remind ourselves of all that we have been forgiven of and that we could proclaim like you did. Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. That we would trust you, the judge of the whole earth, to do what is righteous that we would not be overcome of evil, but we'd overcome evil with good. Cleanse us today. Help us to let go. Help us to forgive. Help us to walk in that freedom. Help us to be fruitful forgivers. Let's drink together. Amen. So we have one song. After that song, there'll be people up here that would love to pray for you. Maybe there's a bold prayer that you need other people to gather around and just pray for a mountain, God's power and God's will. Come up, be prayed for. We do baptisms right out here. No better way to remember what Jesus has done for you than by being baptized. The old you dies, a new you resurrected into newness of life by faith alone. If today is your day to be baptized, we would love to walk with you in that. Right over here after that song, there'll be somebody standing by these doors. They'll explain to you salvation by faith and what obedience of baptism means. And then we'll join with you as Jesus continues to author and finish your faith. Would you stand for this final song?